We all have those kind of situations. And when you're in it, you're like, how do I get out of it? It's easier to be angry. It's easier to be upset. It's easier to be frustrated and overwhelmed. It's harder to be happy. It's harder to be positive. Hi, I'm Rifka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're entrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both so inspired by each other's life experiences. It was then and there that we decided to create this platform because we believe in the power of self-awareness and connection through sharing our experiences. Our goal is to bring you insights, wisdom from the people who inspire us, and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders, and everyday heroes. We invite you to join us as we create positive change in mind, body, and soul from the inside out. Welcome back to From the Inside Out. We have a special little episode for you today. Um, Rifka and I were talking about different things that we learned uh, in the last few weeks and, and that we would love to share with you. Some of them are counterintuitive, like things that you wouldn't necessarily initially think of and um, yeah, we we're really excited to share them with you. Let us know if they resonate with you. We chose the probably the most relevant ones to us, mm-hmm. and I feel that when we do that, Rifka, when you and I talk about things very relevant to us, it usually resonates. So we hope that this resonates too, and that you can walk away with um, with some insight on how to show up and be be a better version today of yourself than you were yesterday. Yeah. That's what means most to me. Like, you know, I was at a few events in the last few days and when I interacted with people I had never met before and they told me, you know, your episodes really resonate with me. They're so real and I'm able to apply them into my life. It just really is is what, it's what we want, Ida, right? It's what we, it's what we set out to accomplish. So I hope this episode today does the same for you. So Rifka, how about, okay. So how about you, you start. And I'm excited to hear, I'm excited to hear your thoughts. I can't wait to hear yours too. The first one I chose is about balance. Guess what? A balanced life isn't always a balanced life. And let me explain why. Recently, there's been a change of concept in, in, in work life. So it used to be balanced work life for people who, for working moms, working dads, whoever it may be. Now there's a concept that's become more mainstream and that is the rise of work-life integration. So instead of it being balanced work-life, it's work-life integration. So I just want to define balance for you. Balance in the dictionary is an even distribution of weight, whereas integration is combining one thing with another so it becomes whole. Now, when you think of balance being an even distribution of weight, that can feel very overwhelming because when do, when do we feel like we have an exact even distribution of everything in our lives? It, it happens in moments and you can have days of, ba- of feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm very aligned. I'm very balanced in my meals um, with my kids. I've had an even distribution of being with my kids, eating healthy, um, connecting to Hashem whatever it may be, but then there are going to be days where you don't feel that way, or there are going to be moments when you don't feel that way. Think about when you think of the word integration, that you're combining one thing with the other. I really, really like that because the mind, body, and soul are all connected. They're not separate entities. They're really team players. So 
if I'm able to really eat healthy meals one day and I neglected something else, it's okay. I can let go of that thing that I'm being hard on myself on because the team plays. And when your vision is, I'm doing this thing to really combine all three of them and um, to have this wholesome experience, then you've kind of let go of the perfectionism because we can never really be perfect at every moment. And you're working towards that balance through integration. Okay. So what you're saying is that balance is even, it's evenly distributed. It's kind of black and white that I can contribute a certain amount of time to my work, a certain amount of time to my family, a certain amount of time to, you know, let's say community. And you're saying that integration means that we have to let go of that even distribution because that's not life. Right. And, and it causes anxiety and stress. Right. It can. Integration. It's interesting because integration, the way I understand it is introducing something new into something that's already existing. So let's say as a mother who's has some, who has a lot of different things going on, life is not balanced. It's, there's always stuff that comes up. Right. And you are going to have moments of feeling balanced, like, oh, I'm able to do all this at once. Or you may have moments, but it's not on a constant basis. Right. Kind of go with the flow, but at the same time, like have goals. Yeah. Go with the flow in knowing that by integrating whatever you, you, you can do that day, actually a good mindset to have, is this going to fuel me today? Is this, am I going to feel like energetic and alive doing this? Do you know what I mean? If you see that you're overwhelmed doing equal amounts of everything, that's not going to feel balanced in the end anyway. But if you think of it as um, I'm going to integrate the things that are going to fuel me and give me the energy that I need to accomplish what I want to accomplish today and knowing that it doesn't have to be equally distributed all the time, that will lead to where you want to be in your life. So what's coming up for me now is uh, an interview we had a long time ago, not that long ago, but with um, Ruchi Fryer. She was saying that at a certain point, she was working so many hours that it was, it was hard because she had six kids and obviously she wanted to be a mother. She wanted to be there for her kids, but she said that when she was running her campaign, so for anyone who doesn't know Ruchi Fryer, she was the first Orthodox a Jewish Orthodox um, woman appointed as a, uh, as a judge in the civil court. And so she said that when she knew that she had to run this campaign and her, and she'd be working like overtime, she actually involved her kids in the process. And it was a very exciting thing for the family. Right. So I feel like to me, that's a good example of integration. It's like, you know what? Sometimes you might feel guilty because you can't be home for a few hours longer than usual. But integration means that you're, it's not like you're letting go of your role as a parent or you're not letting go of the other role you have. It's that you're integrating it. My kids are witnessing a mother who is dedicated and devoted to something that's greater than herself. And then she comes home rejuvenated, like you're saying, like you feel energized and then they pick up on that. So that's, that's how I see the integration piece. Not that I should always be away from my kids, but if it happens once or twice, that's how I understand it. Yeah. I like that. I like that way of thinking. And um, for me, I'm really excited about it to the extent that I'm changing uh, my caption on my page because I know balance has been there for a while and that's what I've been talking about. But I have for a while wanted to change the word because people do become overwhelmed. Can I achieve balance? And I like the word integration. So I know that um, 
in the workforce, there is um, work-life integration. I want to make it um, holistic, healthy living integration. So I want to ask you about how you apply that in your practice as a health coach. Yes. So for example, you have a balanced plate at every meal, a protein, a carb, salad. There are going to be some times where you need to trust your intuition that at one meal, you may just need a bowl of... um, of quinoa pasta with vegetables and not the protein, or there might be a meal that you need protein um, and your your digestion isn't so great that day, and you 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 can't have vegetables. So there's it's or more there like, might be a day when you need pizza. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, that's or what that's, exactly. Well, that's where about that's what I was talking about with balance. Um, but I like this word integration in that. Your, the goal is balance, but by integrating, you're achieving that. And it doesn't have to be even all the time. The holistic way is incorporating the mind, body, and soul. There are going to be some days where you felt that you learned something, like you took the hour to learn something because that was what you needed. And therefore, you didn't end up making your green juice. But because you know that the body, the soul, and the mind are all connected, you're fueling all of them by integrating. That's, that's really great. But whoever I've discussed this with found it much more doable and attainable to think of it in this light. So I hope that does that for you. Um, looking at it just as balance, it can be counterintuitive because you don't end up achieving balance because you're trying to be so perfect. And so the very thing you're trying to achieve, you're doing the opposite by trying to achieve it. Yeah. There's another counterintuitive point. That's great. So you really want to let go of the perfection and embrace integration. I like the word integration. Something about yeah. it speaks to me. I think it's well, about, because I think it just, it, it, it's about evolving, you know, introducing new ideas, new things into our already existing view of the world and being okay with it. Like, even though this is something new or I don't know if something I want to take on, let me integrate it and see how it goes. It's all part of a big picture. And if you miss taking one step, but you do some other step, it's okay because they're all intertwined and they all fuel each other. It's an outlook. I guess it's an outlook. You're right. Okay. So I'm going to share my little thought that I really loved and I think it's a good time to introduce it because it flows well from what you just shared about balance and integration. I think we could be hard on ourselves. I think there's a lot of guilt when, you know, we don't have the the balance and integration that we want. It's easy to be overwhelmed. It's, it's a strange concept because it's actually, it's easier to be angry. It's easier to be upset. It's easier to be frustrated and overwhelmed. It's harder to be happy. It's harder to be positive. And that's counterintuitive. Like, shouldn't it be easy to be happy and hard to be upset? So we, we think our default setting, we have an, an animalistic soul and a, a godly soul. Somehow it always seems like our default setting is our animalistic soul because, you know, we're physical bodies. That's what we, you know, are in touch. We end up gravitating. It seems like that's our default setting is our physical, but really deep down our default setting is our soul, our spiritual, and it takes work to get there. We have to strip the layers, but in, you know, that's why it's counterintuitive because it seems like our default setting is our physical but really our default setting is a spiritual. So it's easier to be angry and frustrated, but life is easier when we can overcome the frustrations. Life gets easier when we can overcome the frustrations and work through them 
and work through them and realize that we're, when we're angry, we're self-sabotaging. When we're resentful, we're self-sabotaging. And what, what I mean by that is that when a person's resentful, the person generally does not know the extent of the, the feelings of resentment from the person who's resentful. There's like this quote that resentment is like taking poison and hoping the other person gets killed. Yeah. So what good does that do? And why are we doing it? We're doing it because it's the, it's like the, it's a cop-out. It's the easy way out because then we don't have to take responsibility for our emotions. We don't have to take responsibility for, you know, our anger and, and whatever's going on or our pain that's causing us to feel those negative emotions, which now leads me, I guess, to this counterintuitive point that I, I absolutely love. Um, it's about recalibrating. If something in your outer environment is controlling your thoughts and feelings, then you're a victim to it. And yet how you think and feel actually creates your outer world. So if you're constantly thinking and feeling and reacting things around you, okay, you're actually perpetuating this cycle of like, you know, kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg, like what came first? Did the negative thing cause you to feel upset or was it your own perception of the world that's causing you to see this event as a negative event? So you don't, so in order to, in order to stop this cycle, you have to think and feel greater than the conditions, which basically means even though the conditions might, they might seem negative, maybe they are, I guess it depends on your perception, but maybe let's say to an objective observer, they are, you've got, you have, you have to respond almost disproportionately with the event. That's very, very difficult to do. So it doesn't mean that you're not going to react at first when it happens. So think about a situation in your life that caused you to have a negative reaction. What was your initial instinct? It was probably to feel like upset or hurt or angry or resentful. And that's okay. That's just a natural re reaction. That's kind of your alert system. But then what you do after that is going to make all the difference. If you allow yourself to sit and simmer in those feelings and emotions, then you're perpetuating the cycle of seeing more and more negative experiences in your life. And you, you just create a self-fulfilling prophecy is essentially what's happening. So I'm sure we all, we all have those kind of situations. And when you're in it, you're like, how do I get out of this? Did he right. and, then, and then later you normally regret what you did when you were in it. You're like, oh yeah. shoot, I probably should have done things differently. So the how part, again, like we were saying, it's easy to be angry, that pain. And so many of us get stuck in this cycle of easy, it's kind of, it's, it's a very difficult place to be, but we're not willing to, I don't want to say we're not willing to, because it's many people just feel powerless to change, you know, it's very, because it's very hard and there are ways to do it. And we'll, we'll discuss that later in this episode, but the first thing to do is to just be aware of this. This is important because like you're saying, you know, when you're in it, it's hard. Now we all know that anger doesn't last forever. Anger eventually will dissipate. It will pass. But I don't know. Reason, you see, you see a lot of people angry always. Well, so, I'll, <laughs> so I'll explain why that happens. The anger will pass, you know, even an angry person, even who's someone who's angry by nature, let's say they just maybe someone who complains a lot. Um, what you do in that moment of, of negativity will determine how you, how things play out in the future. So let's say you're angry, right. And you, you're resentful and you just kind of like let yourself be angry with this person or this thing that happened. What happens is the next time something happens, even though you got over this, this particular situation, 
the next time something happens, again, you're perpetuating the cycle. So you will be angry. And then you, that's why angry people are angry people. They continue and continue and continue because they're not stopping in their tracks and saying, okay, if I don't want to be angry for the rest of my life about every little thing that happens, I need to do something now. I need to do something that's very difficult, but will prevent me from becoming this angry, bitter person. It reminds me of that quote, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So what you're saying is either that. Break the cycle. Break the cycle. Just have, have a list of things handy that yeah. you do in those moments when, and you know, when they are, when you feel like you just want to say something that you know you'll regret, when you feel like you, you maybe are overwhelmed with some emotion, whether it's sadness, anger, frustration, whatever it is, there's such a huge range of, of emotions that a person can experience. But we know that I know at least that we forget about the things that can make a big difference when you're in it. So you've got to have that list handy. Yeah, I think the list really helps. This point that you're making makes me think of Shar Habitachan. Like we're not in control of what is brought to us in our lives, but we are in control of how to deal with it, like how we can react to it. Hashem's the one in control of that. We're in control of how we react to what Hashem gives us. Uh, when it's not someone else that's doing something to you, it's really about internalizing that we're not necessarily, we can't change that person. We can only change ourselves. Yeah. yeah. I like this simple thought, just live and let live. It sounds really simple, but it's like, we have to live our lives and rise above it. It rise above it in the same way that swimming against the tide is difficult, but you get a better workout. This is your swimming against the emotional tide. It's like the default is to just, is our default is survival is to survive, not to thrive, but we want to thrive. We don't want to just be in survival mode. It's funny. I, I when I did my, I wrote my journal, I wrote um, a 21 day guide to mental wealth. And so many people asked me if it was a typo, They're like, didn't you mean to say mental health? <laughs> and I said, no, I actually wrote mental wealth on purpose. Why shouldn't the goal be to thrive? I want to thrive. I want to just be in survival mode. We have all the tools within us, deep inside in our soul. I'm saying we think the default setting is survival, but re really the real default setting is thriving, but it takes work to get there. A real default setting is deeper, like it's not what it seems to be because we were born to work. So we need to work towards our ah, real That's a great setting. point. So our the perceived default is anger, resentment, but the yeah. real, true, spiritual core default is joy and happiness and, and not having resentment. Right. Keep going deeper but, and deeper. But we need to work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We can be our own teacher. You know, we could look back and think about the times in the past where maybe we would have done things differently. You know, when we were in, in an overwhelmed emotional state and we reacted and, or we let things simmer for too long and it deprived us of enjoying something that we really wanted to enjoy. And I think it's good to, you know, look at your history as a lesson, or even look at some of these studies that were done with old, you know, with people in, in, in senior citizens' homes. Researchers went around and asked um, older people, like, what would you have done differently if you could go back in time? And many of them said I would have, you know, so, of course, some of the obvious ones, like spend more time with family, but a lot of them said I would have been kinder. I would have let, I wouldn't have let anger get in the way of me living a joyful life and things like that. So let us learn, let's learn from our sages, from the, from the wise, from people who've lived longer than we have. Yeah. I'm, I'm into that. Absolutely. And that actually leads to me to my 
Next counterintuitive thought, it's actually how old and young have a meeting place. Even though there's a big age gap, the old can learn from the young and the young can learn from the old. So I just want to share with you two things in one thing for each and how the old can learn from the young and how the young can learn from the old. There's a neuroscientist that I was listening to on podcast. His name is Andrew Huberman. And he was sharing some tips for acceleration in learning. Well, he said, first of all, there has to be a focus and alertness. That's the first thing you need, anybody. Um, You know, you have to want to focus. You have to be in that mindset. Then he said, the second thing is that um, you can only really accomplish acceleration in learning if you have times of deep rest, which is sleep or non-sleep deep rest, which could be yoga or meditating, you know, something that's relaxing. So um, generally, a person can learn for around 90 minutes. You can do intense learning or just learning. And um, like nine zero? Nine zero. That's the max. Oh. But he's saying, you know, it's pretty long, huh? Not me. I'm the outlier, but yeah, most people. (laughs) Well, what could you do? I have ADD. So like right. I, my timer, 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't, I, I don't think I could do 90 minutes also either. But when I listened to this, I thought maybe I could. He says, if you take little breaks, he calls them gap effects and, and you do nothing for a few seconds at random times every so often that then you can do it. For someone who feels like they, it would be hard for them to do 90 minutes and they, they struggle with focusing they can do brief amounts of times, like it can even even be a few minutes and then take a few minutes break. So you do like intense, uh, intense focus for small sprouts and then you take little breaks. And he said that, that you can do that even in your 80s and 90s. You can do this. Okay, so the reason why I thought of this is counterintuitive because often you'll hear people say, even in their 50s and 60s, I'm too old to learn. It's too late to make changes. We have this mindset that we can actually stimulate our minds in our 80s and 90s. Um, it's really an empowering thought as we get older. That That's we great. Can, yeah, yeah, that we can have that same effect as the young, whatever it may, whatever it may mean for your age, but you can use that same tool as a young person studying for you know, brief periods and then taking breaks and you will stimulate, you'll accelerate your mind in learning. So the old can learn from the young almost as much as the young can learn from the old. So I thought that was cool. And I also think it's inspiring just to know as we get older, it, we can still, we can still grow. We can still achieve. We can still accelerate our minds. Um, okay. Um, so, okay. So uh, that, yeah. So I, just, I, I, I just yeah. want to say one thing about paying attention. Um, okay. Go ahead. Right, from my ADD research, ADD brain, I feel like this might be helpful for some of you. Okay. So most of us actually have a limited attention span. That's really the truth. Limited could be, has a range. It could be limited to 20, 30, 40, maybe up to 90 minutes, depending on how, you know, on what you're learning. Um, there are, for anyone who, let's say, has a limited attention span, let's say you could only pay attention for 20 minutes. So I'll use my own, my own experience as an example. I generally could only pay attention for 15 to 20 minutes. If I'm studying, when I, f- I finished graduate school, just like I would, I would set a timer for 20 minutes. And then after 20 minutes, I'd have to move around and do something or rest, like you said, and then start and then keep going. But dopamine, which is the part of our brain that's responsible for learning and motivation, it's the reward neuropathways that help us continue like to, to be motivated to learn. They're activated when we're learning something that interests us. 
So if you think about a kid who has trouble paying attention, maybe, maybe they have ADD, maybe they don't, you give them something that they have a lot of interest in, whether it's a video game or even like a book about something they love, they can pay attention for a long time. But then you give them something boring, boring, and they can't pay attention. That's why a lot of people think that ADD is not a real thing because how could you pay attention sometimes and not other times? The dopamine pathways of your brain are actually activated in response to an experience, not the other way around, which means that dopamine is designed to respond to you. You're the one calling the shots. It's a learned system. So if I love quinoa, just looking at quinoa now, (laughs) and I'm desperate, I really want to know more about how it changes my body or affects my health, then if I see an article on quinoa, I will be able to pay better attention to it than to something else. So if you are, let's say older or not older, any age, and you want to be able to pay attention to something make it a learned experience, associate it with something that you're already passionate about, something that you want to know more about, and that will help you increase your attention span, if that makes sense. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know why. Oh, I totally relate to that. I feel like, like I wasn't into reading as a girl. Um, I only started developing that much later because I started to be more aware of what I was interested in. And I really think that's your goals with, you know, with experiences that. And that you can do it at any stage. Look, Rabbi Akiva started learning at 40 and he gave over every, all his teachings at 80 and he lived till 120, but he started at 40. So you can start at any stage. Great, great analogy. I love that. How apropos too. Yeah. Timing. Such a great analogy. Exactly. Never too late. Yeah. It was in the last few weeks. We celebrated Lagba Omer. The other thing that I wanted to share that where the, the young and the old can merge <laughs> is that there's a book that we both read, Ida and I, um, called Bittersweet by Susan Cain. And just little little revealed secret, we hope to be interviewing her soon, but we have a, a an interview scheduled with her, which is very exciting. I really liked this study that was done where that she shared where pe- people who are older are more content. I mean, it's interesting. I, I have to look back in the book at where this study was taken. I don't, I don't know exactly, but a study was done where older people are more content because you do see a lot of grumpy old people walking around. But this is the study that was done. Um, and that's because they appreciate their lives more. They appreciate the present. They appreciate every moment because of the whole life that they've lived. Um, there was a psychology professor. Her name is Dr. Laura Cardinson. She did a um, study within this study where... Um, in general, older people value connecting with old friends more than making new ones, right? For example, and you, and young people like making new friends. But when she told the older people that, that they have another 20 years to live, they made the same choices as the younger person. That's interesting to note. The point is, is that it's not necessarily always about the age. It's about that awareness, like a young person if they've had some tragedy in their lives or, you know, been close to a death experience, they're going to appreciate life the same way this old person is. And the old person may feel more youthful when they know, oh, I have a 20, another 20 years. They're going to do something like the young person. So the point is it's really about the mindset of like, hey, time is valuable. Life is valuable. I'm going to appreciate and value the people that I have in my life and and the life that I lead. 
That's very profound because I, think I, I saw that, um, I wish I could remember the sources. I feel like I should start writing them down, but no. someone said people often live life as though they're going to die at 30. And it's a very, that's a very like morbid statement to make, but you know, they're so busy when they're young climbing the career ladder and and being so obsessed with, you know, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Or like, who am I going to end up with? Who am I going to end up with? And all these decisions and that do have to be made, but you know, remember that the decisions you make are not only impacting you till you're 30, they're impacting you for the entirety of your life. You know, everything that you do can set the tone for the next many years. So right. it's, it's a good thing to keep in mind what you just shared is, you know, it's, it's um, to have perspective and time is very valuable. It's free, but it's priceless. You know? yeah. So the counterintuitive thing is, is that you may think, oh, the old think a certain way, the young think a certain way, but we can each learn from each other. The old can learn from the young, the young can learn from the old, and we can come to a place in the present where we value life. I love that. What you had just shared about uh, that we get so caught up in what we're striving for, our goals, actually is my third counterintuitive point. In the last few weeks, we celebrated Lagba Omer, and um, 24,000 students perished because they did not have Ahavat Yisrael. And that was the very thing that Rabbi Akiva was teaching them. One of the reasons I had learned is because they were on a really high level and they were just striving higher and higher where they just lost themselves in that and forgot about the present world and the people around them. And there's more to it than that, but I just wanted to focus on that. And, and one of the lessons to that is, is that the purpose of this world is not to just keep climbing, but to bring that spirituality or, or that height that you reach into this world, making a dirabatachtanim, making it a better place, elevating the physical and sharing that with others, like remembering the people around us, being compassionate, sharing what we gain with the world, with the people we love, and beyond. It's counterintuitive because you think, oh, I'm going to go high. I'm just going to reach higher. But really we're going high for the purpose of bringing it down. It's so interesting because there's a lot of discussion here about um, a dichotomy, right. Of, of moving forward and like, you know, doing, and then resting, right. We're talking about that. And then, you know, moving to higher spiritual heights, but also bringing it down, like for the sake of bringing it down. And there's so much about our physical world being spiritual in nature. You know, the two are, are not separate. Um, and if we see everything as spiritual and if we see everything as godly, including people um, and things and really everything, then it becomes much easier in, in the truer sense, in the true sense, easy, you know, like joyful um, when we could let go of anger, resentment, control, we ultimately don't have control. You know, we, it's, it's a misconception to believe that we do. And I think once we can let go, I think part of letting go is recognizing that everything is, is God. And I almost, I feel like when I say that, if I were to listen to myself like a couple of years ago, I, I'd be like, Oh, okay, you know, you're like being <laughs> like, all, she's oh. lofty. <laughs> I never thought that I would actually say those words. And so I think that's just a testament to the power of working on yourself and the power of tapping into spirituality and seeing what can happen as a result. Um, and bringing a- it down. That's the point is, is bringing it down. Um, it kind of, it, 
I thought of this analogy of striving and arriving, and we had discussed it in one of our episodes with um, Moshe Gersht. And I really related to this, that you can get to this place where you, you, you're just focused on your goals. Yeah, you, you're like striving away and you forget about being present and what you value right here and now, um, being grateful for who you are as a person, you know, without all these goals and, and being grateful for the people around you and, and just really, really embracing that. So it kind of reminded me of this, like Rabbi Akiva students striving and striving and not bringing it down. We can do that ourselves by striving and striving and having our goals without being present as well. You can have those goals, but also be present at the same time. I mean, this is something that I've really had to work on a lot. I, I am just like touching upon it, like appreciating the present. I can have my goals, but I also recognize and appreciate what I have here right now. This also reminds me of a letter we did in 30 Letters, 30 Days with Shays Taub, where, where a woman was writing to the Labavitcher Rebbe that she feels like she has no muzzle, she has no good luck. And in the letter, when she was writing it to him, she wrote, you know, I've come to a safe country. It was after the war. I've come to a safe country. I have my children, but I feel like I have no muzzle. And the Rebbe said, your answer is in the question. You have, you've come to a safe country. You have your children. You do have good muzzle. At the same time, you can also ask for more. You can also ask for more blessings. So you can appreciate your life and you can also ask for more and strive for more. Like you can have both. I felt I found that so comforting that I can have both at the same time. I can appreciate what I have, but I can also ask for my blessings. I can also strive for more. You almost have to. You have to have both because if you can't, if you can't accept that both are a reality of life, then you're not really conscious. You're not consciously living. When it, you said you talked about being present, and the, and I heard that you know I heard Chase Taub say that. It's just just a great, just a thought that I connected to is that we often think that being present means, oh, I want to be present, right? I want to be present for the milestones. I want to be present for the joyful occasions. I want to be present for the good stuff. But by definition, that's not being present. Being present is being able to be present also during the difficult times, also during the challenging times. Because if you're not present with both, then you're not present at all. You can't selectively, you can't be selectively present. That's not how it works. So being present is also recognizing like what you just said, Rivka, is that we have to be present in the good and the bad, recognize that it's part of, it's part of the process and then recognize that we're not the ones running the world. Interesting, being present in the good and the bad. I guess that speaks to what you were saying earlier about being conscious when we're feeling like the victim or when we're resentful or when we're having that hard time, being really present and conscious about how we feel and how we can get through it. Yeah, beautiful. So that counterintuitive point for me was that the spiritual may or or the goal may seem like that's more important, but really, actually, the physical body is more important because that's what needs to be elevated. And also the present, it, it's counterintuitive because in order to achieve your goal, it's a waste if you're not present in this moment. Yeah. Okay. So What's our takeaway here? A lot of different concepts that we discussed. Um, yeah, but I feel like we can bring it all together, like, yeah. like we like to do. <laughs> There's a new word that I've kind of shifted towards, and that is integration, even though I love the word balance. Um, and it is be- a beautiful thing to achieve. And we may have moments of it or meals with it, 
but it can be difficult to implement all the time. Whereas integration, because it's combining one thing with another, just like the mind, body, and soul are all connected, it feels more attainable and within reach. It doesn't feel like it has to be perfect. Right. So balance is more about control. Integration is kind of going with the flow. Going with the flow and also actually achieving because you're integrating, you're adding things, but it's really in a way where you're thinking about, okay, what is going to give me energy today or fuel me and maybe having to let go of something else in order to do that. So what can you let go of as you know, our listener, what can you let go of today that perhaps didn't serve you? And what can you start to integrate? What new thing can you, what new idea, what new thought, what new concept that could be a new, anything really could you integrate into your day that you know will serve you? What cycle do you need to break? Right. That was your point, Ida. Yeah. And that was something that spoke to me is, you know, very often the world becomes a minefield because you don't know when the next thing, when the next trigger is going to show up. And that can be a very difficult place to live emotionally and, and psychologically. You don't want to feel that anything can tick you off or set you off, right? You want to show up to your day intentionally. And of course, there are things that we can't control that happen to us that affect us. But once that moment happens, you know, it's what we do after that, that really can make the biggest difference. So it's the moments in between that we need to find ways, tools to use for those difficult moments. It's a bit like um, one of the parenting tips that I got actually from Rabbi Shays Taub's course was that when, you know, you're in a moment with your child and you want to teach them a lesson or you want to teach them your values, it, it can be a difficult moment to do that. It really should be in the moments in between, like in the everyday. We- if we don't have the tools that we implemented proactively, like you, you can't expect to have the tools in the moment if you haven't prepared in some way, right? You don't have those tools, then chances are you're going to perpetuate this cycle of resentment, anger. It's not so much what is happening, whether it's internally or externally, it's more like, hey, what am I doing when I'm feeling this that will help me recalibrate so I don't later regret my reaction. And you know, what's amazing. We both have been doing this in the last few months, wrote down like the things that helped us get out of our rut when we're in this place of resentment or like we feeling like the victim, that kind of thing. And I thought it would be nice to end with like some tangible tools that help both of us and would compare notes. Yeah, that's a great idea. We each have our own unique toolkit that we learn from each other and we also know ourselves at the same time. So as we share these tips that Rivka and I both use, think about which of these tips resonate with you and maybe they bring up something else that you remember helped you once when you were going through something and write those things down on a piece of paper that you're not going to lose, that you won't misplace and put it up somewhere. You want to have it handy where you can see it on a regular basis, even when you don't necessarily need it. Ida, do you want to share yours first? Sure. Um, Okay. So in no particular order. Oh, and I just want to say that the list, the easier the thing is, um, the more likely you are to do it. So you want to keep them simple and you also want to keep them less than five minutes. So these things should take five minutes or less, take like up to 10, but like ideally it would be up to five minutes because sometimes your day is crazy and busy and you're overwhelmed and you have so much work to do. It's unrealistic to think that you can take a full hour to regroup and recharge or recalibrate or integrate or 
any of those things. Okay. So one of the things I do is I go for a five minute power walk. That's an obvious one. Um, but it works. Um, I'll organize a small, find a little area in my house, maybe a drawer or a um, cabinet and I'll organize it. I'll take everything out, refold everything, or just kind of put it back nicely again, up to five minutes. Um, I'll call my mom, my mother, or a friend, which is something I, I, I'm not great with the phone. So that's, that's a great one for me. Um, just to kind of uh, go, go yeah. beyond yourself. Yeah. Um, I actually have a playlist and this one I love because um, it's called wake surf. This playlist. I actually listen to this playlist now and it reminds me of summer, which I love and summer with family, just relaxing. And that. Yeah. So a playlist, I think a playlist that brings back good memories. Again, it's five minutes. So you could listen to one or two songs from that playlist. Um, read one chapter from a book that I love that I already read. So if you read a book that you love and you, it's just one of the books on your shelf that you're not getting rid of, just open it up to any chapter and read that chapter. That can be helpful. Um, write. This one's another, see, these are all obvious ones, which is great. Uh, easy to remember, but writing, journaling for five minutes, just write everything down, write down your thoughts. I have other ones, but I, I want to hear yours, Rivka. Okay. Some of, some of mine are similar to yours. I guess that makes sense. Um, somewhere where I had to go beyond myself is the first one. And that is to enter the chaos and sit in it. And I actually heard this term enter the chaos. You know, like you said, we learn from others. Um, when we interviewed Shereen Mandel, I had read her book, The Road to Resilience. And she had said one of the first ways to get out of your rut is to first enter the chaos and like really internalize it. And I had always felt so guilty about that. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm back in this place, but it's okay. And it's actually a good thing to just sit in it and accept that sometimes you're going to be overwhelmed and you may be resentful and just to accept the bitter part and that I've been here before and I can get out of it and I have learned from it and I'm going to do it again. That's great. Cause if you, if you can truly experience pain, then you truly experience joy as well. The two sides of the same coin. So right. I like that one. And it is a really good thought once you've sat into it to realize, you know what, I've gotten out of this before and I'm going to get out of it again. And um, to really be honest about how you feel and like you to talk to a few people about it. Like sometimes you feel like, oh, I, I don't think I can tell anyone about this, but you know, it's actually helpful to speak to someone that you respect, someone that you're close to, a friend, a family member, or that your mentor and get honest feedback and advice, like be open to hearing honest feedback. And if you feel, if it's someone that's hurt you or someone you feel like it would help to speak to, just set a goal of what you want to achieve. Like maybe it's not worth speaking to that person and maybe it is. It's really about what you want the outcome to be and what matters to you most and what's going to bring out the best from the situation. The reason talking is so important, just being able to like verbalize what you're feeling. Everything seems worse in your mind. Things are almost our, our imaginations could take us to places we never thought we could go. Right. So, but once you verbalize it, like if you remember a time or even try this, right. If you're not in a great mood, try to verbalize what you're feeling. The minute you talk about it or even write it down, you'll notice that it's not as bad as you thought it was in your mind. So that's such a great tip. I really like it. Which one? Just to talk it out, right. even to yourself, by the way, yeah. you do it to yourself. Just talk out loud as if you're talking to someone if you don't have anyone that you could speak to at that moment. Totally. And I think it's important to talk about, talk about like, what is your goal for the outcome of this? Mm -hmm. Is it to like, just, you know, fix somebody else 
or is it really to grow yourself and, and do the best that you can for you and your family and the people that you love? Right. Um, also be open to Hashem helping you and he will knowing that Hashem is by your side. He's there and he knows you and he knows what you're going through. And that if you're willing to do the work, he's going to help you. And I would say to say some Tehillim or whatever it works for you to connect to Hashem in some way, or even like listening to a podcast that stimulates you a little bit and diverts you to somewhere meaningful and takes you away from your pain a little bit. And one thing, the one thing, the action step, I guess this is an integration step. Once you've done that, the best way to heal yourself is to heal others. Like go out and do something for someone else. And I feel like every time I've been in a situation, Hashem's presented me with some way to help somebody. And that might take a little bit more than five minutes, <laughs> like you were suggesting. It could take longer. It could just be a moment of just, you know, sending someone a text, how are you, how are you doing? But I found when I really like went out of my way to help somebody, um, it, it helped me heal. Well, everything that you shared, I think there's a five minute version of those things. You know, helping somebody, like you said, could be sending a couple of texts out, hey, checking in to see how you're doing. You know, that 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 in itself could be life changing. I mean, I, I have stories where a simple text made a tremendous difference. So don't underestimate that. Find the five minute version of whatever it is that you feel will be helpful for you. I love this acronym, detach. It's really about detaching from the situation and rising above it like you were sharing earlier. Um, and working on yourself, but detach. D is don't, E is even, T is try, A is and, C is change, H is her or him. Don't even try and change him or her. So, or the situation, or don't try and change the situation. Detach yourself from that and change yourself, how you're going to react to this. Right. See, detach is not a bad thing always. It just depends yeah. what the context is. Also, distract is not always a bad thing. Or divert. You're di- that you're diverting from something in order to become healthier, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good, it's the right diversion for you. So just don't be so quick to say, Oh, if I'm distracting myself from something, then maybe I'm not confronting it, but you're not equipped to confront the situation. If you're in an emotionally reactive state, you want to be able to feel more even killed, more balanced. Um, Can I tell you one more thing that we've both done actually? Um, don't believe everything you think. We did an episode with Byron Katie and she has four steps to like get you out of your thought that you, that may not even be true. If you want to develop more tools for getting through a difficult situation, I highly recommend either just looking at Byron Katie's work or checking out the episode that we did with her back in, uh, I think it was last year. And it's called, Don't, and the, it's titled, Don't Believe Everything You Think. Totally check that out. Hmm. Yeah. I learned a lot from her, actually. I think she's made a huge difference. We both want to interview her. <laughs> we actually reached out. Let's see. Anyway, Ida, I, I like some of those things you shared and, and I hope everyone else finds something new to integrate in growing and in healing. And as far as growing goes, we had discussed reaching great heights or striving or having our goals, but at the same time, remembering where we are right now and being present and appreciating that. Yeah. So being present is about remembering that it's about giving up control, giving up control over the outcome, recognizing Hashem runs the world. You know, we say happy, the word happy, it comes from the same root as happen. By definition, it means I'm waking up and 
I'm happy depending on what happens in my day. So if the day's good, I'm happy. If the day's bad, I'm not happy. That means that it's not depending on me. I'm depending on my day. And we don't want it to be like that. We want to be able to be present and free and know that we don't have control, right, over what happens, but we do have control over, like you said earlier, over how we respond in any given situation. And the way we respond is to catch ourselves and to have some tools and strategies and things that we know help us get out of a rut or get out of the emotionally negative states because we don't want to perpetuate the cycle of negativity. It will happen next time if we can't stop it this time. And you don't want it to continue, right? You want to be able to be less emotionally reactive, more present, more joyful. I think that's a goal that most people very likely share. And it all seems easier said than done, especially in a world where so many of us are chasing the next goal and you can become lost in the future at the expense of the present moment. But um, it's good to highlight this as well as the tools that were shared today that we're going to continue to focus on because when you focus on it, you feel it. You know, we always try to bring you the meat and potatoes, so to speak, like it's really, you know, important key concepts. We know that you're, you know, you have limited time and many different options for how to spend your time. And we, we so appreciate that you're here with us. And our goal is to continue making your time here worthwhile and bringing you things that were either insightful or life-changing for us or for others to continue bringing you interviews with amazing people, people we admire and respect, and, um, and also everyday heroes and some conversations that like today. (laughs) I think a quote that brings this all together is you can do everything once you realize you're not the one doing anything. Oh, I love that. Daily meditation. That's something to think about. Yeah, because you then you let go of your ego. You let go of your imperfections. You let go of all those things, the resentment. You let go and you let God. That's right. Let go and let God.